For the next few moments, as they start my countdown for me, I want to talk to you about the significance of home groups or the significance of Christian uh, community in, in our world. Because here's what I know about our world. We, are, we, we, we know what poverty is, correct? Like if I say, give me a picture of poverty in your head, all of us know. For me, I always go to the, the guy with the gray hair. Uh, he's bald and he's doing a commercial with the little kids with, with the bellies and, and you know, they don't have any food and they're, they're poor. Like that's poverty to me. If you, if you, if you uh, adopt or support a compassion kid, you know that that pulls on your heartstrings. Like when you see somebody hungry, Typically, we, we, we go into action, and so I, I feel that. So I know what, 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 what that kind of poverty is. There's another, there's another level of poverty in our world, which I would call spiritual poverty. And spiritual poverty is in America a lot, and that's, that's what I would say. And I know the other level of poverty the, the, when, with food and stuff is, but, but spiritual poverty is when you have everything, yet you have nothing. You, you ever see somebody like that? Like they, they have the car, they have the wife, they have the husband, they have the job, they have the house, they have every, but, but they still have no hope. Like, if you were to present them with this question, like, okay, you're going to, towards death, what do you do with that? It, it, even if they answer, I don't care, they still think about it. I don't know if you've ever had the, the horror of watching somebody on their deathbed or going through that. Like, we all are afraid of death without Jesus because you have no idea what's coming on the other side. That's what I would call spiritual poverty. Another level of poverty in our world is what I would call relational poverty. In other words, because of the rise of social media, and because on average now we move one er- once every five years, if you're under the age of 30, uh, stats say you will move once every three years because us as 30-year-olds are convinced that somewhere over the rainbow is a pot of gold somewhere. And if I just get there, then I'll be happy. So if I can get to Austin or, or, or Nashville or Hollywood or Las Vegas or nobody ever says if I just get to Philadelphia, <laughs> then I'll be happy. If I can just move there. I'm not sure if that's why we have relational poverty. I think maybe it's, it's because of some of the modern day inventions. Like, let me give you some inventions. I don't know if you're over the age of 40. You probably don't remember this. But there was a time where, where when you pulled to your garage, as you had to get out of your car and, and with your arms, right? With your arms, not your finger. You had to lift the garage door up. You guys remember this? Like, I feel bad if people had to do this. You lift your garage door up, all the way up. You had to go back to your car, get in your car. Use your arms again to close the door, pull into the, to the garage, get back out, go back to the back of your car, and close it again. Like some of you, you need, you need ibuprofen after all this movement. Like now it's just we pull up, hit the button, we come in, hit the button, go down, and literally we never even have to talk to our neighbors. It's incredible, right? Like you could just pull in, but there was a time where you had to see your neighbors and you had to talk to them. Another modern day invention is the air conditioner. I think that has... That has kind of given, given way to the, what would we call relational uh, poverty. Because at one point, when it got hot, it was hotter inside the house than it was outside of the house at nighttime. And so at nighttime, you would go outside and you would, you would play and you would hang out with your neighbors and you would, you would have barbecues and build relationships. Now, it's so hot outside and it feels so good inside that we push our button in our garage, we pull in, we close it, we close the curtains, and we jack the AC up or down to 67 degrees and, and, and just sit there and just relax. Are you with me? And you never have to talk to anybody. For, for, for some, I think it's, it's the invention of video games where you can play uh, in a world where you talk to people on a headset, but you never even see the people. Anybody do that? If you're over the age of 20, you should stop. That might be why you're single. I'm just saying, anyway. <laughs> Don't get offended at me. It's just the truth. It's the truth. All the girls said amen, right? That might be it. 
Like kids, kids really have a hard time talking because they're, you know, they got the, they got the video game posture. It's like, it's like this and they're just, my kids got it sometimes. I'm not sure what it is, but I know that we are a people that, that are real, have relational poverty. We're impoverished when it comes to relationships. We'll have 400 or 500 friends or six or 700 friends or a thousand or 10,000. If you take scandalous pictures of yourself on Instagram, I'm not sure how many friends you can get for that, but I'm pretty sure you can get a lot for that. And we'll get likes and comments, yet we're very lonely. Yet we don't really ever talk to anybody. And even the people that we do talk to, for the most part, it's under the umbrella of partying and alcohol for, just so we can like kind of relate and be happy and have real or t- a time of joy. or ha- I'm not really sure what you call that, but, but for most of us, that's where our friendships lie. Even with, with myself, I, I see it in my own life. And so today I want to talk to you about the importance of Christian community. Because what I know is you're going to feel overwhelmed in life. And you're going to face situations that are hard. And if you face them alone, they're going to overwhelm you. But if you face a hard situation and you have two or three other people gathered in Jesus' name and you don't have to face it alone, then it won't overcome you. That there's something very significant about, about that that theory that God has given us. I see this in my own house when it comes to socks. I don't know if you have kids, but, but socks in my own house and pairing them up is a disaster. I don't know if anybody has ever experienced this. Like, I don't know about you, but I hate wasting money on socks. Like socks and, and underwear, like I'm going to wear those things until, until they're bad. Like holes and, and, and ma- like, because I don't like to waste money on that. And even with my kids, I'm passing on this generational curse to them where I'm like, you need to control your, your sock issues. Because what happens in my house is they get home and they take them off. And instead of like putting them in a ball, because where two socks are, are there, they cover two feet. What they do is, is instead of, they just throw them. Anybody else have kids? And you just find like a, a sock here and a sock there and, and a sock underneath their bed and a sock in the, in the bathroom and a sock in the, in the cupboard where the food goes and a sock here. And then when it's time to fold the laundry because I'm trying to teach them, you know, you need to pair the socks up because where two or three socks are gathered, there's power there. So pair, <laughs> pair them up. Because what happens in my house is it's my responsibility to get them up in the morning as, as we kind of have a routine. I wake the two boys up and Leah kind of takes care of the baby and we kind of we tag team because that's how you're supposed to do it in a, in a Christian household. And so I'm going to wake the boys up. I don't know if you've ever smelled what a stale 10 by 10 room with bunk beds that have two little stinky boys. I mean, it smells like death when you open up. You open up and you're just like, what did you eat? Like, did you brush your teeth? last month like what, what happened in here and so and you get them up and it's always like this this disaster in the morning because I'm like put your jeans on okay you got that put your shirt on okay I don't like that shirt it's too long it's too hot it's not cool I can't run I don't know if you have a little and then it's always like this 20 minute ordeal to find a pair of socks because there's only one sock in there so I, I see the principle where where one sock doesn't cover two feet you have two feet so you need a, a pair in Jesus name there's power in, in, in unity. And so I see it even in my own, but, but the truth is when it comes to your life, there's power when you're together with other people of like-minded faith. If you read through the Bible, the beginning of the church is, is, is the New Testament is a book called Acts. It just means Acts of the Apostles. In other words, it's what it looked like. It's written by a man named Luke. He was a doctor, very smart man. Uh, he also wrote the gospel of Luke. So the Luke and Acts is actually one book, part one, part two. And if you read the Bible, maybe you never have, maybe you haven't understood it, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written kind of all about the same thing with different details, kind of giving us different parts of it, and, but they're all similar. And then the book of Acts. So it's, it's basically four books. Here's what Jesus did in 33 years. And then Acts, here's what happened right when Jesus leaves. 
So it's pretty easy to understand. And the book of Acts is the beginning of the church. It's a miracle book, actually, because Jesus leaves and there's 120 followers uh, around. That's it. The Bible says there's 120 left. There's 120 in the upper room. Maybe the number of the size of people in this room. And they are square in the middle of the Roman Empire and in the midst of Jewish people that have just killed Jesus. So they are scared for their life. And they're in the upper room, the Bible says. And in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, he descends on the people and the room shakes and tongues of fire are on them. And they begin to proclaim the name of Jesus in unknown languages. And then they go out into the streets and people think they're drunk. It's a great first impression, if you know what I mean. And then Peter, of all people, Peter, who just got done running from Jesus, cutting some dude's ear off, kind of constantly putting his foot in his mouth. The responsibility is put on Peter to preach the first message of the gospel to all these people. And he preaches in 3,000, the Bible says, men respond, which no offense, but back in that day, they didn't count ladies. We're, we're, we're over that now. So we don't know how many people. We could say, be safe to assume that there may be 6,000 people. And one day, the church goes from 120 to 6,000, and then it flourishes under the constant pressure of persecution and people getting beat up and, and people getting killed, and the church just explodes to the point today where we never mention the Roman Empire, yet we still... We still talk about the church. And the question becomes, how did that happen? How did 120 people, under the power of the Holy Spirit, start a movement that hasn't been stopped? And I would argue that it was because of the unity of their relationships together. Where two or three are gathered in his name, there's power there. We're told in Acts chapter 2 that after this happened, that there's a time in Acts chapter 2 where you don't need to turn there. But there's a time where, where they would devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and, they, and fellowship, and they broke bread and they prayed together. That's what they did together. It keeps going, and it says, it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. I love that. In other words, there wasn't a church on this corner and a church on this corner, and the church on this corner had really nice stained glass, and the church on this corner had really good pews, and the church on this corner was known for their choir, and the church on this corner was potlucks, and the church on this corner had a really good mops group, and the church on this corner had this. There was one church, and they were unified under one calling. All that other stuff, those other ministries were fine, but they were reaching lost people. That's it. People say, what, what, what's, your, what's your ministries? We reach lost people. What do you do as a church? We reach lost people. Whoa. What drives you? 4.8 million lost people. That's what we do. But they did it so strongly because they were so close. They were tight. They were, there was friendship. There was unity. There was, there was one directional commitment together. You see, I believe you are one community or one relationship away from having your destiny change forever. I believe in home groups that there'll be a, a couple who's on the brink of divorce or maybe you're not even married yet, you haven't even got there, and you were going in this direction, and all of a sudden you're facing all sorts of problems, because just so you know, when you start to walk in the plans of God, Satan will attack you even more. And you are walking towards that, and you are about to give up, and today you're going to sign up for a home group, you're going to look for somebody who seems similar to in the same part of life, and I'm not really sure how, you're just going to pray, Holy Spirit, direct me to the right group, and you're going to get into their home, and they're going to be able to look at you during this home group, and they're going to say, hey, we were in the same spot last year. 
And Jesus has healed our marriage. There's going to be an addict in this room or in our Limerick campus that you are addicted to drugs and you feel hopeless and lost and you're going to sign up for a group and you're going to get into a group and somebody who's there is once is going to be able to tell you, I was once addicted and I was once overcome and I was once lost, but Jesus has broken the bondage of slavery, slavery in my life and given me freedom and you can have the same thing and you're going to get that freedom. You're one relationship away from having your destiny changed. Why did the early church... Why did it flourish? Because there was real relationships. There was real relationships. Here's three things that happened in the, in the early church that I think also happened. What happened in home groups? Number one is this, is groups. These groups provide opportunity for people to come and see. The pattern has always been Jesus changes somebody's life and they bring somebody else to Jesus. That's always the pattern. Jesus goes and finds somebody and then that found person finds somebody else. Jesus, he, he, he rescues somebody, and then we serve the world so that we can bring people closer to Jesus. I don't know if you have ever read the book of Acts, but there's two pretty prominent men in the book of Acts. There's Peter, and then there's a man named Saul who would have his name changed to Paul. And if you read the story of Peter, you, you read that he's a pretty important part of Acts, but, but it's significant how he met Jesus. One gospel tells us that Jesus comes to his boat and says, let's go, it's time to go fish for men, and he follows Jesus. But the book of John gives us a meeting even before that. Before Jesus came, uh, the story goes like this. It says in John 1 and verse 35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, John the Baptist. It says, when they saw Jesus passing by, he said, look at the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They replied, Rabbi, where are you staying? Jesus says what he always says. Come and you will see. And it keeps going. He says, this is the when they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and he followed Jesus. Andrew. You don't hear much about Andrew the rest of the Bible. You know he's a disciple. You know he follows Jesus. But listen to what it says. It says the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon, who's Peter, and tell him, we have found the Messiah and he brought him to Jesus. In other words, without Without Andrew, there's no Peter. The process has always been for Jesus to get to you and then for you to get to this world. The process has always been for Jesus to light something up in your life and then for you not to hide it under a bushel. You remember that song? To let it shine everywhere you go. The work, the school, the home life, everywhere you go, telling every person that you know about Jesus. And what I love about home groups is this, is for many of your friends, they will never ever step foot through these doors. They just won't. As soon as you say come to church, they're like, they got a million excuses. I sleep on Sunday. I get over my hangover on Sunday. I watch football on Sunday. I don't even know what I do on Sunday. Sunday is my day in between recovery. Sunday I get ready for things. Sunday we play sports. And they're never going to come. And what they're really thinking is I've been to church before. I've seen the dude in the robe. I've done all that. We did the prayer. I didn't understand it. Something bad happened. Every time I meet somebody, they're like, I won't go to church. I'm always like, what, what happened? What, what, what bad happened in your life? Something bad happened. I'm not coming. But you know where they will come? Your house. You say, I'm having this group of people over to my house. We're going to eat. We're going to watch a video. You don't even got to tell them about Jesus. Jesus is cool with fibbing if it's for him. <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, there's going to be, we're single. There's going to be a bunch of single people there. You should come over. Oh, okay. We're going to have food. Okay. Talk to your neighbor. Hey, I invited you to church a bunch of times. You haven't come. Well, we got some people coming from our, from our church that are going to come over. 
And I think that in those, in those settings, people's lives get changed forever. You know what's cool about this? Sometimes when you preach, you say that, and everybody's like, you have to say that you're the preacher, and you're trying to get us to sign up right now for these groups. So you're just going to keep talking until you see my pen move. And you're probably right. And this would be a lot shorter if you would just sign up right now. <laughs> but there's also times when God just shows off. And when you preach something, you're not preaching it because you're making it up. You're just preaching it because you've seen it happen. This time last year, we do home groups every, every six months, one time, six weeks. This time last year, we began the blessed life. You guys remember that if you were here. If you weren't here at that time and you've just come since we've been in this building and maybe at Limerick, you're here as a result of the blessed life. Because it took our church to the series and our, and our offerings, they went up 50%, never came down as a miracle, trust me. Our church has never been good at giving and we've now, we're now average, which is awesome. And because of that, we're able to rent out this facility, we're able to, to renovate the Plymouth meeting, we're able to run our Limerick campus and all this good stuff has happened. And we heard story after story after story of God providing and doing miracles in people's lives. And this time last year, there was a young man named Troy, who I didn't know at all. And Troy was coming to our church, just new. And God was beginning to work on his life. And I, and I heard many, you, you remember, we did, we did the Blessed Life offering where we were going to raise $100,000 in a day. That's, that's crazy. Just so you know, up to that point, our church had given $350,000 of the entire year. It was the end of the year. So on one day, we were going to raise 33% of what we gave all year so that we could be in this building. And we put, we, we did, we put, the, put the vision out there and, and just said, we're going to raise it. We're going to do this. And we signed the lease before we ever got the money. Totally stupid. I mean, try going to your, to your board and going, hey, we're going to rent this place out. It's, it's going to be this much a month. Here's what we bring in. It's going to be a big portion of it. It's cool. We're going to raise $100,000, though, in one day. And they look at your thing, and they go, you're, you're an idiot. Like, you're... So we did the blessed life, and we did this offering. And, and just so you know, thousands or hundreds of people gave that day. The number was $1,000. Over and over and over again, we sell $1,000 coming from people. It was incredible. Some people gave $5,000. One person gave $10,000. It was an amazing day. Some people gave $500. Some people gave what they could. And I remember I heard, I heard Troy's story before we started, and, and they said, Troy, they talked about him a little bit. They said, Troy is going to buy something that he's going to flip and then sell it, and that's what he's going to bring his offering in. And so he bought this thing. I'm not even sure what it was. He flipped it, and then he brought his offering that day, a significant amount of money, and he placed it in God's hands. He sowed his seed. And then I started hanging out with Troy and seeing Troy in here working and then this last spring, Christian Atheist, we did the sermon series, and he decided, I'm going I'm to lead a group in my house, and I'm going to invite all of my friends that don't yet know Jesus to come to it. Me and Ian are going to lead it together. So he began to lead this group, and I began to hear reports of his group. And what's so neat is the Bible teaches what you sow is what you reap. He sowed money into this building, and, and he began to, to reap a harvest for God's kingdom. And all these friends started coming to, to, his, to his group. A guy named Dave started coming to his group that was far from, from God. His older brother, Jared, and his wife, Emily. His younger brother, Luke, and his girlfriend, Carolyn, a freshman at, at Penn State. Another friend named Nick Seaman started coming. And all these people started coming. Flash forward to last Sunday. If you weren't here, you missed it. But I asked people, I said, I said if you're getting baptized and there was somebody that led you to the Lord... Have them come baptize you, and I'll stand there, and I'll cry with them. So I want to show you this video of what happened last week. This is, this is Troy. They're going to play it in a second. And this is him baptizing all those people. I just
powerful. Some of you guys never got to experience that before, but there's something powerful when you lead your friend to Jesus. And not only did he lead him to Jesus, but Jesus has changed their life. Dave wasn't a part of our church at all. He now comes. He serves as security. He sits right here in the front row normally. He's single ladies. <laughs> when he started coming, he was at a low point in his life. To, not, to, not to church, but to, but to Troy's house. What was so neat is last Sunday as I was walking, his mom and dad were here to watch him get baptized. And Dave grew up in a church but walked away from it like so many of us do. And his mom was crying and she said, thank you so much for Journey Church because Journey Church has changed my sons forever. Watching his younger brother Luke and Carolyn, they're freshmen at Penn State Burks. They live an hour away from here. Every Sunday they drive here. And I see them at the end of the experience cleaning up and tearing stuff down and hanging out with my kids. They don't get paid enough to hang out with my kids at the end of four hours of being here. Watching his older brother Jared and Emily and serving and being a part of our church and Nick and all this stuff. And I think it's so powerful for you. Some of you say, if I say, you have somebody that needs to know Jesus, you'll say, yeah. And I say, what's your excuse then for not getting involved in a home group? Or what's your excuse? Maybe you, you didn't have a chance to sign up. Some of you say, I have 25 friends that don't know Jesus. And if I just opened up my house and turned on a video and I got them wings and pizza, they'll be there. And you lead a group. But there is power when two people come together under the power and the, the presence of Jesus Christ. He's there with them and people's lives are changed forever. The other thing I think that is so important is the other person in, in, in the Acts, the book of Acts, that's really prominent is Paul. I think something else that happens in these groups is, is we get to experience together and provide opportunity for encouragement for one another. What do you do in life when life gets bad? See, the, the ability you have to encourage someone comes from who you, whose life that your foundation is built on. Jesus was clear on that. He said, look, you can build your life on, on sand. In other words, everything this world has to offer, as soon as it gets bad, that's, that storm, that wave's going to wash it away. But if you build your life on God, on the rock, that when the waves crash, they're just going to crash off and you're still going to be standing. You see, encouragement comes from who you have inside of you. And I don't know about you, but for, for me, many times in this culture, it's a very vague amount of encouragement. Hey, you're struggling in life. Hey, just drink a little bit more. Don't judge the guy. Just help him. Give him a drink. Hey, you're going through something bad in life. Hey, let me just encourage you. It's going to get better. How do you know? How do you know it's going to get better? You have no hope. What are you going to do when you die? I don't know. Then how do you know it's going to get better? But for a Christian, it's different. Because we can say, no matter how bad it's going to get, and no matter how rough it is right now, I know that, hey, it might not get better, but eternity is waiting for you, and you're going to be fine, and at the end, Jesus is going to win. So I'm not going to give you vague encouragement. I'm going to give you the hope of eternity. I'm going to encourage you in this. And you see this in the story of Paul. I don't know if you know about Paul, and sometimes I talk to people, and they're like, man, I can't come to church. Lightning's going to strike me. And I always say, I always say, have you ever murdered anybody, bro? And for the most part, they say no. <laughs> no, we never murdered anybody. I said, then you should be fine. They say, why? I said, because the Bible that I'm going to preach to you from, 33% of the New Testament, which makes up an important part of the Bible, was written by a murderer. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah. And the rest of it was written by a bunch of screw-ups and about a bunch of screw-ups. The Bible is not about a bunch of stars. It's about a great God that has a great plan for your life and for my life if you would just allow him to come in. 
So the story of Paul is Paul is murdering people. He's murdering Christians. He, he's, on a, he's on a witch hunt for Christians, so to speak. His name is Saul, and everybody is scared of him. And Saul goes on a mission, to the, and he's on the road of Damascus, the Bible says, and he's going to kill more Christians. The Christians are scared to death of him. And Jesus stops him in his tracks and blinds him and leads him to a different part and renames him. He was really into that. Jesus was always giving people new names. He says, you're going to be Paul, and God's plan for For Paul was, not only are you going to get saved, but you are going to be the first missionary, the most powerful missionary that's going to go all over the known world and preach the gospel to every person that you come into contact with. You're going to start churches. Some of them are going to be crazy. Some of them are going to be powerful. You're going to do great things for my name, Paul. So Paul figures out this plan, and he goes back to Jerusalem. And I don't know if you you could be, imagine with me, but they would be scared of him. I mean, could you imagine they're hanging out, they're having church, they're eating, and all of a sudden... And they open that little latch because that's what they always do on the movies. And they peer out and, he's, and it's Paul. He's like, yo, it's Paul. I used to be Saul. You remember I killed Stephen. He was your first deacon. It's totally fine now, though. He says, I want to come in. Jesus changed my life. I mean, could you imagine? They were scared. They were going, you're not coming in here. We don't want any part of you. And there was one man, because here's the thing. Many times it's you that stands in between somebody and their destiny. And there's one man. His name's Barnabas. I've always been infatuated with Barnabas. I've just loved his character in the Bible. His name means son of encouragement. And he stands up before everybody else. And he says, God changed Paul's life. And God has a plan for Paul. And they listened to Barnabas, the son of encourager. And they bring Paul in. And what's so cool about, about the story is then Paul goes on the mission field. And I don't know about you, but, but if I'm going to a place where, where there's persecution and there's pain and there's, the Bible says over and over again, they were flogged, they were beaten, they were jailed. I'm taking somebody like Ian with me. Ian's strong. He's tough. I'm not taking the dude that's in touch with his feelings, the encourager. Paul takes Barnabas with him. Barnabas. And here's why. Because Paul was going to face flogging and pain and persecution, and he was going to feel like giving up. And I think Barnabas was in his ear, and Barnabas was going, God saved you. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. We got to keep going because God wants to save all these people. You see, we get to encourage one another. Our last uh, home groups, somebody in our church lost their brother unexpectedly. And I don't know if you know what the role of a pastor is, but typically in a church, uh, when somebody dies unexpectedly, it's the pastor that needs to be there to help pick up the pieces. It's just part of the, the gig that you sign up for. It's one of the hardest things. I've done two funerals. Both of them have been from an unexpected life loss. It's just been a tough thing. So I tried to call these people, and they were... They were from out of the country, so they had to go to the family uh, with its loss. And so I'm trying to call them before they're leaving, and I'm calling them. I'm just getting their voicemail. I'm telling them, hey, I, I'm really sorry for your loss. Sorry I'm not getting a hold of you. I feel like a horrible pastor right now. I should, I should be there with you, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so for the next few weeks, I hadn't seen them. And I thought to myself, man, they're probably mad at me. They're probably disappointed at me. I'm a horrible pastor. I kept calling them and leaving them voicemails. A few weeks passed, and they showed up early on a Sunday morning to serve, which speaks volumes of their character. And I looked at them, and I, I was really ready to have this big apology. I don't know if you've ever been there. And I said, I said, I'm so sorry that I wasn't there. I tried to call you. I hope you got my voicemail. I'm so sorry I didn't get to see you. Anything I can do for you? And they said, you're, they said we don't need you. And I thought to myself, oh, all right. And they said, no, our home group the whole time has been encouraging us, praying for us, cooking us meals, sending us emails. Pastor, you're not that important. Truth. There's power when, when unified Christians come together and they're able to encourage each other through a tough situation. A few years back, 
Me and I know I can speak for John. We had a really tough year personally. We were in the middle of having two kids, looking maybe to have a third kid, which anytime you're going from two to three and you're out of diapers, it's, that's, that's already stressful anyways. You're thinking, it's probably a mistake if I do this again. I'm never going to tell this kid this, but... So we were in the middle of that, and we both we both decided let's let's have another let's have another baby, not together with our wives. And so, uh, <laughs> both of our wives they got pregnant right around the same time. This is before Harrison and Kellen, who are both sleeping in the nursery. I think the nurse workers gave them Nyquil, which is genius. <laughs> so it's right in between that, about two years ago. And I remember we got a call from from the Deckers and. And we were, they were both pregnant, and when you're pregnant, you, you have so much high expectations and plans and all this stuff, and, and we found out they were having a miscarriage. And I remember, like it was yesterday, they came to our house, and, and we talked, and we encouraged each other. When you have a miscarriage, the encouragement is, I'm not sure why this has happened, but we're going to see them again. We're going to see that baby again. We already named them. We're going to see them again. And I remember that happened, and then uh, we found out we were pregnant a few weeks later. And we were in Oklahoma, and we flew back, and we, we, we were here about back a week. And I told you a story that one, that one time I, I was rubbing my jeans all day, and my hands got blue. And I had just gotten off a plane, and I Googled. You should never Google when you're sick. And, and I thought that I was experiencing a blood clot because my hands were turning blue. So I went to the emergency room frantically. My wife dropped me off. And I ran to the emergency room, and I said, oh, my hands are turning blue. And, and the nurse took me into the, to the wash area. She said, wash your hands, idiot. And I washed my hands, I was healed. Literally, one of the most embarrassing days of my life. So that's what happened. What I didn't tell you is that day, and this isn't to make you feel bad for laughing at my stupidity, but that day, my wife began to experience, she was pregnant a couple weeks, she began to experience symptoms of a miscarriage, and we found out that she was losing her baby too. And so that's, that's not why I was rubbing my pants. That was just part of, that just kind of was part of the embarrassment of the day, or the sad part but I remember, you know whose house we went to? The Deckers. So they got to return the favor of the, of the encouragement, and the words were the same. It's a good thing your hands aren't blue. And you're not dying today, but one day you're going to see your baby again. And there's power in Christian encouragement. And that happens where two or three are gathered together in his name. And number three, the last thing that happens is these groups provide you with the opportunity to fight together. I, I want to tell you what happens in, in people's lives. And you tell me this is your, your, habit, your, your pattern of habit as you're trying to follow Jesus. It's because we have a hard time with grace and we struggle with, with God's unconditional love. We still are under the assumption that the way we act determines how much he loves us. So, when you're doing good, you have an easier time being in God's presence because you're doing good and you, you've accomplished good things so you come to the house of God. But then when you mess up, the pattern I've seen in many Christians' lives is they run from, from God. They stay away until they kind of clean up their own mess. It tells me that you really don't understand the gospel at all. The gospel is not you clean yourself up and come to God. The gospel is you are a mess and you are a slave to your sin. And God has bought you back at a high price. And that high price was his only begotten son. That if you would just believe in him, You'll have new life and you will not perish and you will not be defined by who you were or what's been said over you. That's the gospel. And what happens is many of us come to that, that spot and we don't get told reality. You see, you think your life is a battle before that you meet Jesus. It's not. Because you're a slave to sin before you meet Jesus. Which means you're in a prison. 
you're already dead. You're just living out your days. No matter if you have 30 or 40 or 100 years or you have a couple years, your life is still ending up the same spot. Then you come and Jesus releases you from your slavery. And the battle begins there. The devil's going to heap shame on you for your past. He's going to convince you to stay away when you mess up because God is not happy with you. He's going to convince you of all these lies. And what I love about these groups is they provide an opportunity for us to fight together. There's nothing worse than a follower of Jesus being isolated from other followers of Jesus trying to go at life alone. That's exactly where the devil wants you. The Bible says that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. And I don't know a lot about National Geographic, but what I do know is that lions will run after a herd and push one away by themselves because they know if they attack the herd, they're going to get their butts kicked. So they chase one silly antelope away and they isolate them by themselves and then they devour them. That's exactly what happens to Christians. And so instead, God provides a place for us to be together. For us to carry each other's burdens. For us, the Bible says in Hebrew, to stir one another on. To fight together. And this happened in Paul's life. Paul took a couple people with him on different missionary journeys. And at one point, he's apart from Barnabas and he's traveling with a man named Silas. And he gets thrown into prison in the book of Acts. The Bible says they get flogged, they get beaten. And I can imagine that they're getting tired of this life. I would be. Everywhere we go, we get beat up. They, at one, one part of the book of Acts, says they leave him outside the city gate and they think he's dead. Now that's a bad beating. And the Bible says that Paul gets back up and walks back in and starts preaching again. That's a bad man pajama right there. The Bible says they go into prison. And the Bible says with Silas that they begin to sing at the top of their lungs so that every prisoner can hear them. Worshiping God. Here's what I know. Two people together fighting together, worshiping God. That is how we fight our battle together. Provide you an opportunity to fight. Some of you are in the fight of your life. You're in the fight for your marriage. You're in the fight over your addiction. You're in the fight for your teenager. If you have a teenager, you are in a serious fight. You're in the fight over shame and over past. And you need somebody to fight with you. That happens in these groups. You find real friendships where encouragement happens, where people's lives are changed, where people will fight together. And I'm going to encourage you right now as we begin to close this service out. Fill this paper out. Get rid of every excuse that you have. If there's not a group close to you, start a group. All you need is a DVD player and a TV. Start a group in your house. Maybe God has compelled you. Just get involved somewhere where Jesus can use you, work through you, and accomplish great things. Don't hesitate. Would you stand up with me all over this house and our Limerick campus? And as we close in prayer today, just so you kind of know how this service is going to end, we're going to end it in about two or three, four minutes. And the ushers are going to come forward. And so if you haven't already filled that out, maybe you just bow your heads, but you open up your eyes. I won't know. Only God will. And you just fill out your card. But I'm desperate, man. I am desperate to get you in these groups. Not because I want them to be successful, because I want to say, hey, we have these people, because I believe they're powerful. When I see that video with Troy... There's power in these groups. So maybe as I, I, in a second, begin to pray, you just begin to fill your card out. Then the ushers are going to come forward and we're going to collect them and you guys are going to get out of here. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes all over this house with me?
and at our Limerick campus, would you just close your eyes? And I'm going to ask you to do something that's totally un-Pennsylvanian. I spent eight years in the South. Southern people are much more touchy-feely. But I know many of you were invited here in this place with somebody today. I believe many of you are here today because somebody gave, served, sacrificed, prayed, and they got you in this moment right now. And we are better together. So as a sign that there's unity in this house and unity in our Limerick campus, I'm just going to ask you to reach over to your neighbor. If you don't have a neighbor, maybe you make, make your way close enough to somebody and just grab their hand right now. Maybe they're in a fight right now and you're just going to pray over them and with them and for them. I know it's totally uncomfortable and I hate when pastors do this. That's why I'm up here doing it. But just reach over and grab the hand of your neighbor. And would you just bow your heads and close your eyes just as a sign of respect, even if you don't believe what I'm saying, just as a sign of respect in this moment. And if you're a follower of Christ and you know that person is a follower of Christ, maybe you just begin to pray. The Bible says the Holy Spirit gives us the words to pray and we don't have the right words to say. And maybe you don't know them that well or maybe you don't know what they're going through, but maybe you just begin to pray and you just give them a little hand squeeze just to let them know I'm praying for you right now. And there's others of you, you're in this place today and this is your first time here, you've been here a couple times and you were brought to this moment by a friend and they've been praying for you for a long time. They've been praying that you would know their Jesus. They've watched you live, they've watched you struggle, they've watched you seek and not find and they've prayed for this moment and now your hands are are unified together. And your friend loves you so much that he would put his life or that she would put her life on the line. So much courage to bring you to church today. And maybe you right now have felt the knock at the door of your heart. That knock is from Jesus. The Bible was clear. The message is simple. That me and you, that we're the same. That we're sinners. That we're separated from a God that loves us. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our anger, because of our bitterness, because of our shame. And he could have left us at any moment. And the Bible is clear. And he's been thinking about you from the moment that you started on this earth. And he's watched you suffer. That his heart has broke for you when you've made bad decisions. And that he has pursued you and he loves you so much. So much with a love that is not feelings-based, that is not conditioned on who you are, where you've been, what you said, but He loves you because He made you and He created you and He set this moment up in time right now. And your friend did everything that they can to be here in this moment. And now you're holding their hand and they're praying for you right now and your heart, you can feel a knock at the door of your heart. That's Jesus. And the Bible says if you would just repent of where you're at, You would understand who you are separated from God and you would believe in your heart that Jesus is the answer for your sin, that he died on a cross for your sin in your place. And he rose from the dead and he defeated the payment and the penalty of your sin. And now new life is found through him. The Bible says if you would just pray that prayer, if you would just invite Jesus into your life, if you would just believe he is who he says he is, the Bible says you'll be changed just like I was. I'm not a good person. My life would be far from God had Jesus not changed me. I'm indebted to Him and I'm privileged to tell you about Him right now. 
So in this moment, as you're holding your friend's hands, maybe you're the one that that came today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. But you're holding the hand of a person that invited you to right here, that had been praying, that got you to church. And you say, you know what, Pastor, that's me. I need to have a relationship with Jesus. I need to become a new creation. I brought a lot of baggage and I need to be released from it. I am tired of being burdened and heavy laden. And I believe what the Bible says. Jesus says, come to me if you're weary and I'll give you rest. I need rest right now. I need the peace that surpasses understanding. I need joy. It's unspeakable. I need a hope that outlasts my situation that I'm in right now. I want to start a relationship with this man named Jesus. That's you in this place and you're holding the hand of somebody that invited you in this room today. You know they know Jesus. You know they've invited you to this place. Would you just squeeze their hand as if to say, you know what? Today is my day of salvation. Today is the day that I'm going to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Just squeeze their hand right now. And friend, as you have been the person that invited them in this room, many weeks we ask people to raise their hand. And many times people are intimidated. They feel like they're all alone. But right now, you're not alone. You're standing with a friend. And you can face anything when you're not alone. And right now, you're unashamedly standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you're crying out, Jesus, I need you. So if you squeeze your friend's hand, and friend, you felt that hand with both of you together because we're better together. Would you just raise that hand towards heaven and say, me, me and my friend, we're accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I see you right here. I see you over here. I see you right here. I see you right here at our Limerick campus. If that's you, would you put your hand up high? I see you over here in the front row right here. Come on, church. Let's clap all over this place. Let's keep that hand up high all over this place. Jesus is changing people's lives right now. We're better together. We accomplish great things for him. Church, would you pray? Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for your presence that's here right now. You're so good. You're so good. Jesus, I thank you right now for saving people, for setting them free at both of our campuses. I thank you for their friends that had the courage to invite them to church today. They have the courage to speak about your goodness and your grace, knowing full well that there's nothing good inside of them, but it only comes from Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your gospel that saves us, that changes us, that transforms us, that takes a murderer and makes him a missionary, that takes a coward like Peter and gives them boldness to preach your gospel, that takes a broken marriage and puts it back together, that takes a father who abandoned his kids and gives them the spirit of Abba Father and enables them to be the daddy that maybe they never had that gives courage and strength to the single mom that changes the teenager's life so that they can go into their school a place of desperate desperation and insecurity and have the courage to live for you Jesus I thank you for your presence that's here right now and your Holy Spirit is filling people up with joy and peace and love and grace and mercy and Jesus you rose from the dead And so I thank you, Lord, that not only did you defeat our sin, but you secured our place in eternity with you so that when our heart stops beating on this earth, that we have the hope of spending eternity with you, Jesus, in heaven. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for what you've done in this place. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Church, we got a lot to talk about today. Let's clap together.